Welcome to Sustainable Business Fridays. I'm your host, Katie Elman. Sustainable Business Fridays is the first podcast of its kind, bringing together students in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, not-for-profits, social entrepreneurship, and more. Twice monthly, these conversations go live via iTunes and Google Play. This week, I'm speaking with John Meyerson, co-executive producer of the television series Years of Living Dangerously. Incredibly excited to be speaking with you. As I mentioned to you in a previous email, my professional background is in media production. And though I am pursuing an MBA in sustainability, I am always interested in ways that storytellers, journalists, and um, media people can bring about change through um, our various mediums. So please tell me a little bit about your background and how you became the executive producer of this program. Uh, thank you very much. It's really pleasure to talk to you. I have a background as a, as a journalist starting um, really all the way back to college. <clears throat> I was editor of my college newspaper at the University of Chicago, and then I actually ended up getting into radio and then television at CBS News. And I, as soon as I got to sort of see the television side of it, I decided that I, I was interested in telling stories with, with pictures and visuals, and uh, I went all over the world and did production for um, the Evening News and a number of other CBS programs, uh, very interested in sort of geopolitical changes and covered the fall of the Berlin Wall and developments in Eastern U Europe and the Soviet Union, uh, and then slowly became more interested in long-form journalism. I went to work at ABC News. Uh, as a magazine show and long-form producers, and then spent about 20 years going back and forth between uh, long-form storytelling and daily news. Uh, ended up at, at, at 2020 and also doing several hours. But I, about two years ago, um, the, the folks who run the Years of Living Dangerously, two executive producers, Joel Bach and David Gelber. Uh, I've known David for many years. He used to work both at CBS and ABC. And we've been talking about working together, and I followed the, their, uh, their adventures in the first season of Years, uh, which was on Showtime. And after that, they decided that they would do a second season because of such an important issue, um, began finding uh, funders and hooked up with National Geographic. Uh, and I left ABC and joined them as a co-executive producer of the second season of Years of Living Dangerously. Uh, first told me that he was going to do this program. And I think many people had the same reaction that, wow, eight hours on climate change and wouldn't it be kind of dry and dull and like taking your medicine? And he took and Joel took the skills that they learned at, and had developed at 60 Minutes as storytellers and telling dramatic human narratives and translated that beautifully to what is truly the most important issue of our, our day. Uh, and and produced an incredible series, and to see it recognized by the by the Emmy, with an Emmy, uh, and and other awards was just really gratifying for me, and and certainly led to their having enormous amount of impact and moving the conversation forward, and 
uh, obviously there's a lot more being done about climate change, whether it's films, um, uh, television, but particularly uh, you know films like Leonardo DiCaprio's and The Inconvenient Truth being the, the first model of this. But the climate change is certainly more more visible and more important than ever. So I, I was really great, really honored and, and pleased to be able to, to join them as a co-EP. I bet it is impressive. And I think as a viewer watching, obviously I'm interested in the topic and I think it's, you know, of paramount importance and um, it's a huge pressing issue for all of us. Um, but watching it, it's not, um, it's easy to swallow. I think as someone that hasn't already drank the Kool-Aid, um, it's a way to learn and to actually, it's heavy stuff, but it there's hope in it. Right, and um, it's presented, it's heavy stuff and it's presented in a, in a somewhat, I, mean, I won't say light mannered, but certainly a digestible way. And that takes a lot of, takes a lot of time and a lot of producing and a lot of thought. Um, very early on, uh, David and Joel decided a couple of things. One, they decided they were going to do a television series. <clears throat> they found the uh, late executive producer Jerry Weintraub, who was a real television and I mean a real film and and TV storyteller and impresario, a grand thinker. And he basically said to them, number one, um, you should do this as a TV series. Number two, uh, you should do this. Uh, using celebrity journalists, you know, celebrities as journalists, and that will make the journey seem more palatable and more identifiable. And the reason that the, the reason that the celebrity correspondence works so well is because the whole idea is that we're on a journey, the viewer's on a journey, and that the correspondent is learning as he goes uh, or she goes, because we don't get an unlimited amount of time with these folks. We get probably the most was, would be like, let's say, David Letterman went to India for two weeks, and that was a, that was a great amount of time. But it's not like a reporter working on something for for a month or a year. And they have to become the eyes and the ears and the voice and the, of the of the audience. And that that seems to work really well. Was the question I had for you? You know, the desire to have people that are already familiar to the public giving information and sharing, you know, sometimes scary and unpleasant facts about situations that threaten all of us, you know, I think it is more palatable and it is um, easier to understand than having necessarily, you know, a scientist or somebody else um, that may be smarter than you telling you things that are scary. Um, but I think it, it makes a lot of sense and it does, um, actually create more trust with someone that you may be watching movies or their stand up or you know like David Letterman he was in people's homes for 30 years or something every evening well let me give you an example i i as a co-executive producer i also you know oversaw and helped shape the the, the series the last series of 8 hours but i also produced two of the episodes and uh one of them was in Miami with uh, the actor Jack Black about sea level rise. And, you know, that could certainly be a fairly dry subject, and we're talking about something that's pretty gloomy, the end of uh, Miami, if, if people don't start paying attention to rising sea levels. But yeah. uh, Jack, Jack Black just turned out to be the perfect storyteller for this. Number one, 
we had him for a limited amount of time, so we sort of literally parachuted him into Miami. He talked to various politicians, activists, scientists, real people, young people doing things, and he became increasingly engaged and excited by the story. And he wasn't just acting, he really was uh, Jack Black being himself and getting to, to see and understand and talk to the scientists and saw how dire the situation is, but yet wanted to have some hope. So ended up talking to a young a young woman who uh, named Delaney Reynolds, who is 17 years old and goes around talking to students about the importance of understanding sea level rise and alternative sources of energy. And he was just thrilled and excited by the, by the whole process. And, you know, his, his enthusiasm was infectious and it, it made producing the story just so much easier and, and, and more fun and, more easy to watch, I think. Still, do some of these uh, contribute celebrity contributors, celebrity correspondents, do they stay on after their episodes air? Is there a continued relationship? Oh, absolutely. I, mean, I think the best example of that would be Ian Somerhalder, uh, who was on season one. He did a story, and then he stayed in, in touch very much with, with the team and with Joel Bach and particular. And he taught us a lot of things. Ian has an incredible social media impact. And he really worked with us and we work with him about social media engagement. Um, And Ian ended up doing a a really great story in the second season, the one that we paired with Miami about uh, measuring storms of the past to predict the hurricanes and storms of the future. Um, He is very devoted to the series. He's very devoted to climate change and sustainability. And then his wife, Nikki Reed, ended up coming on, going on that trip with him and doing a a separate story about uh, the importance of putting a price on carbon, which is really a complicated and not particularly dynamic story that that she and her team managed to turn into a a really fascinating story about what it means to to put a tax on carbon and what what would that, what's the cost of that literally and what, what would it, what does it do? And they went to Canada um, to see where they have a, a price on carbon in, in Vancouver. No, and that leads me to want to ask you a little bit about how the topics are chosen for the episodes. So it's a wide range of topics across two seasons. You know, and you just mentioned, you know, putting a price on carbon, those rainforests, you know, extin- extinction of animal species, coal, <laughs> palm oil collapse of the world's oceans and on and on now how are these topics chosen and then how are they produced because they need to be heavily researched they have to include real science and real facts and real figures and then they have to be produced into tv stories with characters and storytellers and no it's it's a great question and it's really the key to years of living dangerously and the fact is that Joel and David and and we have produced um, 17 hours actually of television in the last three years. Uh, the process is an interesting one. I came into the second season and given the first season, I think what they what they were trying to accomplish in the in the first season was to find stories that were really important wake up calls. The, the, you mentioned palm oil, the destruction of rainforest in Indonesia. Uh, they knew they wanted to really focus on Hurricane Sandy and and, and the 
effects of the storm and what was known about it and how it was linked to climate change. Um, the Middle East, say, Syria drought leading to possible, quote-unquote, climate night migration. Uh, that was a story that they came up with, and Tom Friedman from the New York Times worked really assiduously on it because the idea that there are such a thing as climate refugees or climate migrants is still controversial. And I don't have any doubt that it, it, it exists and it occurs. There are all sorts of exacerbating uh, other considerations. But for instance, that story worked very well in the first season. And then in planning the second season, so when I came in with David and Joel and another senior producer named Sidney Tratner, we knew we were going to do eight hours, which would have been commissioned by National Geographic, and we had certain topic or subject areas. Um, we wanted to do another story about migration and was quickly determined that the place to do that would be Africa, where there's um, something like between 600, sorry, between 60 million and 100 million possible migrants because of conditions in the in the Sahara area, mm -hmm. uh, so they went to to Africa to pursue that. But that just getting from the idea to the actual production took months, and hundreds of phone calls, and hundreds of interviews, and logistical planning, and safety concerns, and going and shooting in 110 degree temperatures, and going with someone from the UN, and getting protection from the the military in Niger. I mean, just as an example from soup to nuts on the Africa migration story, when I started on the program a year and a half ago, it was just a, we had a board of store possible stories we wanted to do. And we knew that in the first season, we hadn't done certain stories that needed to be done. We hadn't done anything about China. We hadn't done anything about oceans. We hadn't looked at India. We hadn't looked at uh, there was some interest in, in Miami and sea level rise. We hadn't really done sea level rise. Um, we had we wanted to do another story in we wanted to do a story in Brazil that would be related to to um, forestation, but ended up being really more about how cattle production is the driving influence there. So we looked instead of palm oil, we looked at, at cattle and therefore eating and how to how should people be consuming food uh, in the decades to come? We, we had funders on this. So their funders, the way that the Years of Living Dangerously works is we have our our network, in this case National Geographic, who had a network executive we worked with very closely, a fantastic executive producer. And he gave us lots of great ideas and story direction. But we we knew which stories we wanted to do and where. And we work with funders who give the program money, which is why we can afford to spend the time and go to all the places we go and shoot incredible footage and travel around. Um, so we, we had interest from our funders in certain areas, um, India, oceans, China, uh, I, I believe Brazil. And they, they weren't saying... Um, Oh, here's what story you need to do. They just said we, we'd like to we'd like to see something about extinction. as another one. Uh, we know this is an important issue. Obviously, the animal extinction and climate change is a complicated, a very complicated story. So we got a great team on that. A wonderful producer and associate producer who researched 
what do we know? You know, what's the science? People can talk about climate change and they can talk about extinction, but what, what, where, where, what is the science behind that? And where can we go to tell that story in a, in a compelling way and a, and a real way? So there's a combination of sort of our brains, our storytelling abilities, hiring great producers and associate producers to plan these things, areas of interest from our funders and from National Geographic. Then it all sort of came together in this incredible and marvelous alchemy uh, that that kept evolving. I mean, it was a truly a 18 month process. Um, we also knew we wanted to do some some important domestic stories that hadn't been done. Uh, the end of coal campaign. Um, closing down coal plants and what that means. We ended up adding a story about solar energy in the United States and efforts to um, effort, efforts to both promote renewables, but also if you take a look at this was in our first episode, along with with the India story, um, efforts by public utility commissions or 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 activists on the the other side to funnel money into to areas where uh, things like net metering and other things would be overturned so that you wouldn't be able to say that you, you're basically constricting the growth of solar energy in places like Nevada and Florida, places that have plenty of sun. We knew we wanted to do something about solar energy, about coal. Um, and then we added another story about, about uh, the citizens' climate lobby. Um, series of conversations and we realized that climate would be an important and interesting issue in the 2016 campaign mm-hmm. uh, and that the Republican Party was uh, basically the only major party in the entire world that doesn't recognize the importance of climate change or even its existence. And so we ended up following a couple of people in the citizens' climate lobby. Uh, the correspondent was Bradley Whitford from West Wing, who knows something about Washington, and efforts by Efforts by one um, person from the from the citizens' climate lobby to put together a citizens uh, sorry, a co- to put together a congressional uh, climate caucus to bring Republicans and Democrats together to talk about the possibility of just recognizing climate change and maybe even having a climate bill. Uh, we also did a story about the military and military insecurity and the, both the political battles within Washington to recognize climate change in places like uh, at places like naval bases and changing climate around the world and Arnold Schwarzenegger did that and sort of took on tried to take on members of, of his own party the republicans to to ask why they don't recognize uh the problems of climate change rising sea levels and so on in order to plan better for the for the future and of the US military wow now we talked about it a little bit um, at the beginning, and speaking about your background, but do you there? This the program is so interesting to me, not just about the topic, but how it's mixing journalism and activism, and then it's that desire to be active continues on for the viewer and the correspondents through the website. So yeah, I guess it's but, two questions, really. Um, if you can talk a little bit about, you know, the intersection between journalism and activism, and then if we can speak more about the website, which is really impressive, in my well, opinion. Yeah, the, I, I'll talk to you about the website well afterwards, because, um, we, you know, that's a concerted effort that a number of people are working on. And 
it's not easy and it's it's exciting but so i'm a i'm a journalist first i come from a journalistic background and a lot of the people who worked on the the program both in the first and, and particularly the second season are, first of all <clears throat> david gelber and joel bach are journalists david in particular has an esteemed career as a 60 minutes producer and he's produced hours and programs for Peter Jennings and Ed Bradley and worked at 60 Minutes and was a news producer before that. Uh, but journalism is, we are journalists, but we have become also act- activists in the sense that we realize that this is a, a critical issue. We're accepting the fact without any debate that there is such a thing as, as climate change, man-made climate change, and that something has to be done about it. Uh, some of our stories probably more activist than others. Uh, the one about putting a price on carbon, obviously we believe that's an important thing. We follow people who are trying to do that. We follow uh, members of the End of Coal campaign, which is part of the uh, Sierra Club as they make efforts to close down or look toward the future of a coal plant in Waukegan, Illinois. Uh, we obviously take the side that uh, Renewable energy is a good thing, and we're looking at why states like Nevada and Florida aren't doing more to implement it. Um, But the journalism is always there. We fact-check. We double-source. We report. We talk to the other side. We try to get comment where where it's necessary. We we did assiduous research on uh, climate migration in Africa, on extinction of animals in... um, in Africa also, and also in in California. Uh, I did a story about deforestation in Brazil with Giselle Bündchen about, as I said before, about the effects of cattle ranching and animal agriculture on on the Amazon rainforest. And obviously there's a great deal of passion there, and it's a beautiful place, and Giselle Bündchen is from Brazil, and there's a lot of heart in that story and a lot of a lot of activism, but it was journalistically based. Every interview we did was was research. We talked to scientists. We had numerous conversations. We 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 had to make sure that our facts are are right and bulletproof. Otherwise, we're going to get an incredible amount of criticism. And most important to that to that point, we have a we have scientific advisors. Um, we have a, a a science and science journalist, writer, and author named Joe Rome. Um, a climate scientist named Heidi Cullen from Columbia. So Joe Rome and Heidi Cullen are our science advisors, and they read every one of our scripts and they vet everything. And we have an incredible fact-checking team in, internally and at National Geographic. So it's advocacy, but it's it's rock-solid journalism, and, and that's really exciting because I don't think um, any of us would have wanted it differently. And it's it's one other thing, which is it's narrative storytelling. We each scene has to be has to stand alone. And when you meet a character along the way, when when Jack Black interviews science scientists in Miami or Giselle Bündchen interviews a scientist on a tower in Brazil, that's the scene. We have to tell that story right there. We don't go back the way documentaries or, or television programs go back and re-interview or mix in interviews from other settings. We want this to be to feel filmic. We want to we want you to feel like you're you're on, on a cinematic journey with grand narrative storytelling so that you come away with this experience that's it's filmic it's journalistic and it's and it's activism and then people are 
compelled to to move afterwards. To to we've had enormous impact. Of the, some studies that we did after the first season showed that we had enormous it had enormous impact, and people stayed engaged. Engaged, and um, if you want to talk about the sort of the, the the social media and website of the second season, I'd love to do that. Yeah, let's let's do it. A couple of things I found out uh, recently: we we have um, more than a million followers. Years of Living Dangerously has more than a million followers on Facebook, which is more wow. than you know, more than the NRDC, the EDF, uh, 350.org, or even the Sierra Club. And we have uh, all, all combined the season. Our videos from the season have more than. 13 million online views. So we have an incredible wow. engagement online. And we have, um, you know, we have lots of millions of likes and, and six and a half million Instagram likes and lots, 220,000 shares and retweets. And uh, as I said, actually over a million followers on Facebook. And part of the reason for this, it, I would say it's twofold. One is we know this is very important. We have a great team. We have a We have a web producer, and we have a social media producer, and set out in each one of our stories to do behind-the-scenes um, videos. And we have a fantastic uh, behind-the-scenes producer, editor, director named Adam Kaufman. And Adam went on a, a lot of our shoots, and he produced these these small web videos that uh, really, I think, do an incredible job, maybe even sometimes more compellingly, than the stories themselves, where you're talking, he's he's interviewing the producers and the correspondents about what the what the story is, why they're doing the story, why it's so important, and those things alone are, uh, are really watchable and are really important, and they they lead to further engagement. And then the other part of it is that our 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 celebrity correspondents have incredible social media following. Uh, Ian Summerholder. Uh, Giselle Bunch and Jack Black, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, they have millions of Instagram and Twitter and Facebook followers. And so we are constantly doing things that they're pushing out or we're encouraged by them and by their social media profiles to, to do as much of that as we possibly can. Yeah, I was going to say that's even another value add of having them as contributors and correspondents to the series. I don't know if when Joel and David planned the, the whole celebrity correspondent idea that they knew or were realizing how much those people's social media profiles would would make a difference um but it's it's huge and and, and I think I hope we're going to do a third season because it's certainly really important right now and you get more and more people who are, who are engaged in this and celebrities we had several celebrities who wanted to work with us actors and others who wanted to work with us and just you know didn't have the time or the ability at that point and I think we'll kind of be able to follow up with them and um get get a third season going we hope that was actually um a point of praise for your team is that with the social media presence and the website and how you can, it implores the visitor to the website, even if you haven't seen the series, to get involved. There's so much content in a good way. It's not beating you over the head, but it's actually giving you the option to find an avenue that you are comfortable with being involved 
and um it's really impressive it's one of the most impressive um websites i've seen for a series actually ever where it's not just expecting you to be a consumer and buy stuff and um be bombarded with advertising for the people that advertise for the series so it's a great job to you and your uh team on that thank you i i give all credit to joel bach joel is is brilliant he's a fantastic producer director he's got a visual incredible visual sensibility if you see the program it's 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 really his vision and how it's shot and these individual scenes and interweaving the stories i mean we just um really are are following his lead on on many many of these things um but he really also um pushed to do these web extras and uh, this social engagement but, but particularly the, the the videos so that people can really experience it in a different way yeah, it's it's brilliant. <coughs> now, I guess going forward, some of your the goal is to have a third season, right? <laughs> yes, it is. The goal is to have a third season. Uh, we don't feel like we're done telling stories. We feel that in the era of climate change, and which is going to be a continuing crisis uh, playing out all over the world in the political climate in Washington now, that, that we have to have... Um, Number one, some account- accountability. If you look at some of the people that uh, Donald Trump has chosen for his cabinet, whether it's Rex, Rex Tillerson and and Exxon or Rick Perry who wants to close down um, the Energy Department or uh, at the EPA, so we have a. I wouldn't say we have a mandate, but we certainly have an interest in in following that. And and then just there, you know, there are dozens of stories we. We haven't pursued, and and climate change isn't just stopping because the years of living dangerously is finished with its second season. Uh, yeah. I think there, there's, if I could think of a dozen more stories, we could we could start on right now. Now, where's the silver lining in all of this? Obviously, so it's very it's very serious, very pressing, you know, life threatening topic. Well, um, several things I would say are the silver lining. One is engagement and 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 the fact that this isn't that going away, and people are increasingly interested in it. That you have a you really have a, a generation for whom this is more important than than anything. And when you meet people, as we did in, in just about everywhere we went, but uh, the story that I did in Florida when I met Delaney Reynolds and her, this is the generation that they have to do something about it, and they're inheriting this and. It's one thing for people who are my age or uh, the producer's age to think about climate change, but for our children, uh, they're, they're going to live in this world, and they're going to be concerned with extreme weather and, my, you know, my, I mean, the migration crisis is a climate migration crisis as well. What are we going to do with, you know, if there are 100 million people who are trying to leave um, Africa? So that's it's generational, but but it's also that there are solutions. There are things you can do. You can you can help people stay behind in Africa. You can build sea walls in certain places. You can encourage renewable energy and sustainable growth. And you can you can grow food in different ways, and you can consume food in different ways. So there's it's not at all hopeless. There's no aspect of of American life or world life that doesn't. In, it can't and shouldn't involve issues of global warming, climate change. It's yeah, because all un- aspects of our lives are touched by it. 
So, you know, education, if you want to be a teacher, if you want to be in a university, if you want to do research, if you want to be a journalist, if you want to, you know, just pretty much anything. We met some very exciting people along the way. Well, thank you so much, John. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you. It's been really a pleasure. You can follow John on Twitter and Instagram at Jay Meyerson. Watch season two of Years of Living Dangerously on demand on National Geographic, iTunes, Hulu, Google Play, Amazon, or Nat Geo's TV Everywhere app. To get involved, visit yearsoflivingdangerously.com, follow them at Twitter at Years of Living, hashtag Years Project to sign up for daily actions. Join us for the next Sustainable Business Fridays, where we're speaking with Karen Overton, Executive Director of Recycle a Bicycle. If you happen to be in Washington, D.C., tomorrow, Saturday, April 22nd, be sure to stop by Glen's Garden Market in DuPont Circle from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. for their Earth Day birthday party. Bard MBA and Sustainability. Lead the change. Learn more at bard.edu.